loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today I'm talking with Claire Wineland. Claire's been living with cystic fibrosis her entire life. At 13, she founded Claire's Place Foundation, Incorporated, a nonprofit organization providing support to children and families affected by cystic fibrosis. She's the young author of bestseller Every Breath I Take, Surviving and Thriving with Cystic Fibrosis. Now 19 years old, Claire's unique inspirational model for people living with this disease has led her to be a TEDx speaker and receive multiple awards, including being named one of 17 magazines, 17 Power Teens of 2016, Fox Teen Choice Awards 2015, the Gloria Barron Prize for Young Heroes, and winner of Los Angeles Business Journal's Small Nonprofit of the Year, among others. She's been featured on Inside Edition, The Dr. Oz Show, CNN, Huffington Post, ABC News, Cosmopolitan, People, Ladies Home Journal, and more. Claire's Place Foundation is a way for Claire to give back hope, strength, and joy and make meaning of what she's had to go through. Welcome, Claire. Thank you. Wow, that intro is incredible. Hearing it, I'm like, wow, that person sounds so cool. (laughs) And what do you know? It's you, Claire. (laughs) Yes, big soccer. (laughs) That's the life you've lived these 19 years, huh? (laughs) Yeah, I guess so, huh? (laughs) (laughs) For sure. Um, You know, I'll I'll just say how I originally um, found out about you, which is a thing I do a lot confessions internet trolling uh, <laughs> oh, don't we all <laughs> and, and then of course because i i'm geared in a certain direction like illness loss grief end of life etc your dying 101 video um poked up turned oh, up yeah I, I stuff. <laughs> and um i was just so in wonderment and amazement to see a young person talking about death because um, that's not people in my age group. I'm in my 60s now. Um, we're talking about it, right? <laughs> but to right. have you talking about it seems so powerful to me. Could you tell people kind of uh, a little bit about um, how you how you got to that stage where you were sharing in that way, in that public way about your own experiences? Yeah, well, you know, it's funny because when I started when I started the YouTube channel, my in, my intention initially from the from the get go was to make videos like that. So I actually had people who told me to wait until <laughs> wait until I'd put out some other stuff, some more you know chill, normal, not terrifying <laughs> videos um, <laughs> before I made the death one. But I I kid you not, that was one of the first videos that I filmed. Um, was the death one, and uh, and so I, I I think there's there's almost a, an over comfortability for me with dying, um, and that's because with with cystic fibrosis, it's 
you, from the get-go, you know, from the moment you're born, you have a terminal illness, and it's known to be very terminal. And so when I was born, you know, the doctors were kind of telling my parents I'd live to be around 10 years old. Um, and then as time went on and, and, you know, medicine evolved and, and grew and all that, the life expectancy got pushed back further and further and further. And uh, two years ago, when I was 17, it was they were saying I would live around another two, three years maybe, and now my life expectancy is in the 30s. So, you know, so it's just, it's, it's always been such a constant in my life, um, and not really in a scary way, shockingly. Uh, mm. I just, it's just one of those things that you, um, you know is kind of more real for you than it is for anyone else. Um, and I was, as a kid, it was funny, I had... I was too comfortable with it. And I remember thinking to myself one day, wow, I really don't care. I could just flip a switch and be okay if now, if today was the last day, you know, or if uh, going into this surgery was going to be the last time that I was ever alive, I could be okay with that. And I think that's because I had been in so many situations where I had to be okay. Humans are really kind of just incredibly adaptable creatures, you know, so if you put them in a certain situation, a certain circumstance enough times, you know, they learn how to handle it gracefully and how to be okay with it and how to kind of, I mean, I always talk about it like flipping a switch where you're, you're nervous, you're nervous, you're nervous, and then you just flip the switch and it's okay and you accept it and you know you've lived a good life. And, um, but I had this point when I was around about 10 or 11 years old um, where I was actually nervous about how okay I was with dying because I was like, well, aren't you supposed to fight tooth and nail against it? You know, aren't you supposed to be so in love with your life that you're not this okay with just letting it go? And then when I was 13, um, I got really sick, and I, I went in for a surgery, and I got a blood infection, and um, I ended up in a coma for around three weeks, and, um, and I remember when my lungs were failing, and I remember the feeling of, of knowing I was dying and feeling my body kind of dying around me, and I remember, you know, looking at my mom, and, and my mom, you know, I love my mom, but she was very honest with me. She was like, you know, it's, yeah, you're not okay, it's not okay, your lungs are failing, and so I knew it was happening, I knew I was dying, and I just had this jolt of extreme terror, and not terror of what was going to happen next or any of that, I, I try not to dwell on that as much, um, but just extreme terror at, at at realizing I didn't want to let it go. I didn't want to let life go. I, I wanted to keep experiencing it, and, and I didn't want to let go of my mom's hand. And, that, you know, as corny as that sounds, I didn't want to let it go. And I'm so grateful for that, looking back at it, because the truth is we can be completely okay with dying. We can think about it all we want. We can completely accept our death. We can, you know what I mean, we can dwell on it. But the truth is when it's happening to you, you want to hold on. You want to survive. And that's good. That's beautiful. It means that you acknowledge what you're letting go when you die. You acknowledge how beautiful life can be, how much possibility there is in life, all the possibilities and dreams and, and you know what I mean, the, the person you could have been. You acknowledge what you're letting go if you're scared of dying. And so for me, I think when I talk about death, it's a... It's a balance between two sides. There is an acceptance to it, and there's a, there's a knowing that it's quite literally a part of life, not just human life, but all of life. You know, if you go to, if you go to like, the redwoods, you see all these dead trees. Um, yes. 
you know, on the, on the forced ground, and then you have new ones that grow right on top of them. Um, and those new ones are stronger because they use the nutrients from the dead tree to grow, right? So it's just, it's a part of nature. It's a part of organisms in general. Um, so there's one part of acceptance, and then there's also the part of not wanting to die and wanting to live, and how do you live passionately but die gracefully? And I think that that's something that, you know, um, I'm in a unique position to talk about, so I try to whenever I can. And if that means blasting my opinions over the Internet, then I apparently will do that. <laughs> <laughs> apparently, and, and, and find favor in it. Because, yeah. you know, I can imagine that, that um, people would say, hold on on that. But the fact is that I've come to think in the couple of years I've been doing this show in particular that people are sort of longing for honest conversation about death. And yeah. because, I, I think that because um, they gravitate to those conversations. Uh, I, I had a guest uh, maybe a year ago, uh, Ned Buzzkirk. He started a movement where I live called You're Going to Die. And once or twice a month, he has gatherings where people play music and read poetry, all from that viewpoint. And I, I've been to some, and what really struck me is I'm, I was like in a, uh, so much older than, than everyone else. It was right. mostly 20 to 40-year-olds, uh, packed, you know, sold right. out rooms of people just wanting to face that fact and grapple with yeah. it, and that's so encouraging to me. It is. It's beautiful, and you know, it's it's a very Western. I had to be this way. <laughs> anytime anyone says it's a very Western thing, I'm like, oh, we're about to get a lecture. But <laughs> but I just mean it's 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 a very Western way of um, of thinking, not dealing with death until you're in your old age. Because if you look at you know, I'm 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 an anthropology major, and I've always been really interested in kind of the way that other cultures and other people see death. And see dying, and if you look at um, you know many other cultures and traditions and, and beliefs around death, people do face it at a very young age. Um, boys, especially, put themselves in in challenging positions and in, and in life threatening positions, either through you know either there's some in the um, in the Amazon and the rainforest that put these gloves on their on their hands that are filled with poisonous ants, and the ants sting them. Uh, so many times that they start to, um, you know, have, have too high toxin levels and, and nearly pass away. Um, and, you know, if you're healthy, you survive. If you're not, you die. And every single boy is, it, it has to go through this to kind of grow up. And it's something that they actually look forward to. It's not like they're, you know, forced to do it. They actually look right. forward to it in their culture. And, you know, and of course, I'm not, like, suggesting anything that extreme. Don't worry. But, like, you know, it, it, I think it's a very basic um, human want to understand it and deal with it and touch it and feel it and you know what I mean because the, the truth is we just kind of we are kind of forced to push it aside until we can't anymore because it's mm. not fully acceptable to talk about it you know what I mean there are, or there's not as many spaces as you would like to talk about it which yes. is why what you're doing is beautiful and you know what I mean and all that um because people are interested. It's, it's, it's innate. It's everywhere. It's in every culture. It's in every way of living. People want to kind of have some relationship to it because it's such an integral part of your life. You know, how do you build up an entire life knowing it's going to crash down? And that's such a, you know, I think that's one of the most interesting things about humans is that on a level we know everything we're going to do in life 
everything we're going to become, everything we're going to build, the family, the world, the, you know, the goals, all of that, we know it's going to end. We know it's not going to go on forever. We know that we're going to die, and yet we do it anyway. Um, yes. And I think that that's, that's so beautiful and that you don't really realize the beauty in that unless you acknowledge death and dying and what it means, you know? So, yes. I, yeah, well, I agree. And I think I'm people think- do want to talk. I, I, and I think uh, what's interesting to me, and it came as really a shock uh, to me when I was going through coming to terms with my partner's illness and her death. She died in 1995, so it's a long time ago, but obviously still impacts my life greatly. Yeah. Um, and uh, what I realized was that when I came to terms with the fact that she was going to die, and, and she did, that when we engaged with death, life became so much happier. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, everything was funny, pretty delightful, entertaining, right. and meaningful. Right. And I think that's the well-kept secret, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Facing exactly. up to death does not mean you're, you're morose or you're depressed or you're, you know, not the people right. I know. The people I know that have face death in some way even indirectly I think they tend to be happier they they are and you know it's interesting um, I'm not <laughs> I don't know why my brain's so in the anthropology world but but I've noticed this a lot is is you know communities and and people individuals and I can say that from my experience and from knowing other people with cystic fibrosis and knowing people with other illnesses um, as well as how other cultures live, when there's a big kind of acceptance around death, there's also this passion, and it kind of comes out of nowhere. You know what I mean? It's kind of this, it's like, it's like, um, it's kind of like having an acceptance around death opens you up to this just huge well of passion for life. And, and it's hard to understand that until you're in the position of having to accept death, you know? And, and, and it's funny because we can, you can sit around and you can talk about it all you want. You can, you know, intellectualize it all you want. But there's kind of just this innate, and again, it's, it's back to the kind of the, the switch being flipped. But um, it's like once you actually think about it, you put yourself in you know, what position, what would it feel like, how does it feel to die, you really, like, go there, you go all the way there, you go morbid and dark and crazy, (laughs) you know what I mean, Um, and then when you come out, you realize how incredible everything is, and how, you know, simple it is, because I think something that, you know, and I, and I talk about this a lot, but there's this huge misconception when people are dying that you need to have this big bucket list and you need to go out and you need to do all these big things that you always wanted to do with your life. And, you know what I mean? And it's grandiose and it's big and it's leaving an impression. And, but the truth is, for me, it's really in the simple stuff. And it's in the kind of small, you just have a profound joy in the way that your socks feel, you know, or like, <laughs> or the temperature of the shower or like, you know, it, it's, it's, um, it's a lot more subtle than that. And it's not about going out and jumping out of planes and conquering all your dreams because the truth of the matter is, and, and this is kind of 
just my philosophy on life in general is that it really doesn't matter what you have or what you accomplish or, you know, it doesn't matter if you have the right job or you check enough things off your box of to-dos or you fall in love or, you you know what I mean, or or how healthy you are, how sick you are. You know, what matters is the way you relate to the world around you. What matters is what you make and what you have to give, you know, and that's not something that I, I, I think that when you acknowledge how real death is, um, you kind of sense that it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you go in and do something big and grandiose. It doesn't matter if you accomplish everything you wanted to accomplish in life. You've still lived. You've been an organism, yes. a human being in this grand kind of story and this, and this beautiful, you know, in society and in this planet and all that. You've existed. You've had that experience. You've experienced what it feels like to, to feel sad and to feel happy and to feel grief and to feel joy and, you know, and that that's enough. That's completely enough and that will always be enough. And that's kind of all there is to life, you know, is this constant yes. wave of feeling well, and experience. I don't know if you agree, but I have the idea that that bucket list thing um, is a lot more critical to people who've been putting off their life. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, for instance, if I found out that I was going to die tomorrow, there isn't really that much. I mean, I would probably work less just because I would, but not because I don't believe in what I'm doing. You know, right. that's something that living next to death taught me. Don't don't put stuff off. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. if you have an inspiration, follow it. Yeah? Do it. Yeah, exactly. So let's come back to that more when we get back from the break. It's time for our first break now. And Sorry, listeners, you can go to my... Time. <laughs> <laughs> I know, time flies. <laughs> Listeners, yep. you can find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. Please follow me and like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, etc., etc., etc. And to find Claire, go to clarityproject.com. That's C L A I R I T Y project.com. Be back soon. Your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. 
Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Claire Wineland. At 19, she started a foundation, given a TED Talk, produced The Clarity Project, in which she talks about what she's learned living with cystic fibrosis, and those are just the brief headlines of what she's done in her life. Um, And we were talking before the break, Claire, I think we were talking about enthusiasm for the inspirational quality of life. How inspiring right. it is when you're not um, trying to make something happen or you're, you know, doggedly determined, but when you're actually feeling inspired to be alive. Mm. <clears throat> yeah, that's exactly it. Good way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, and, and, the, and the way that I think death and, and sickness in some cases, too, can kind of bring that out in people. For sure. But I... I have to imagine too you know there was a there was a um a part in in your in your book every breath i take i believe it was in your book where you were talking about um the treatments that you had to undergo and um did making a game out of it Mm, yeah um (laughs) yeah well yeah i did a lot when i was younger my parents were very helpful with that (laughs) So they somehow got the idea they would have to, I mean, I I have a three and a half and five year old, two grandsons, three and a half and and five and a half. And I was trying to picture as I read your book, um, you know, I know something about that treatment, making, somehow getting them on board with doing it. You know, so much. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought uh, that- Well, I mean, I will tell you, it was an uphill battle for everybody involved. <laughs> um, and it, you know, and it still is. It's, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, it's a lot. And, and, I, and, I, and as much as I'm considered to be a very, you know, positive person in the field, I'm also not going to, like, sit here and tell you it's not a lot and tell you that it's not really freaking hard. Um, because, I mean, it's, it's four hours a day of intensive treatments. That's every single day of your life, you know, and it's, and it's 50 somewhat medications, some pills, some shots, some inhaled, you know, you get like a wide a smorgasbord of, of all of it. It's like a buffet, all-you-can-eat buffet, um, you know, and, and on top of it, it's a lot of kind of stop and go with your life. Like you're, you, um, you have to spend so much time in the hospital that you kind of can never really get much traction going in your life, you know. It's like a... You, you know, you, uh, every time I tried to start, like, a team sport or anything like that, I'd just, like, I'd have to stop because I'd be in the hospital. And so it was, it was hard as a kid. Um, but I think what was, what was really kind of interesting about it is that 
you know, uh, I, I mean, I had parents that made it fun. So we would do we would do vest art, which is where I would um, hook up to this thing called a vest, which is, as it sounds, a vest that inflates and it shakes your lungs so that you can try and clear some of the mucus from the, you know, walls of your lungs. And, um, and I would hold colored pencils and paints and paintbrushes in my arms and in my hands, and I'd squeeze my arms against the vest, and they would shake. And then I'd put paper in front of me and do, like, this cool shake art that we still have today. Um, and so kind of a lot of things was just ingrained in my head and ways to make it work. And nowadays I'll start TV series. I'll, like, binge watch Netflix, but I won't let myself watch it unless I'm doing treatments. So if it's a really binge-worthy show, then I'm going to want to do treatments because I want to keep watching it. Um, so, you know, you <laughs> That's find brilliant. Kind did, of, you, yeah. did someone suggest that, or did it just come no, to you one day? No, I just figured it out over the years, you know, because I would, I would, um, I, it was always fun to kind of start a TV show while I was doing treatments, but then I would just end up watching the TV show for the rest of the day and forget to do treatments again. So I had to get really strict with myself. Um, and I think the thing is it just takes a lot of kind of self-discipline and and where you really run into a wall with CF is that it's so much time and energy. It's so much, um, you know, kind of resources spent on just staying alive that by the time you get to be a teenager, you get into this weird zone of like all you do with your life is take care of yourself. And this is where I think my opinions differ from a lot of people in the cystic fibrosis community and where I've kind of, I've run into arguments with other people and other healthcare professionals and all that because Sometimes my best advice for someone with cystic fibrosis is to just stop taking care of yourself so much. And I think we're in this world where we're so health-focused, especially in the, in the medical community. It's so about finding a cure and getting better and getting over the hump and fixing the problem that mm. a lot of us don't realize how much your quality of life diminishes by spending every single waking hour thinking about your health. You know what I mean? Because at a certain oh, point... Oh, my gosh. Just, yes, just last night I, I run a, a women's cancer support group. And we had a long discussion about uh, this exact thing that um, most people are uh, out of treatment at this point that are in the group. Right. But right. but there's this incredible pressure to um, to take care of themselves perfectly. Yeah. And so all it feels like is is a big trudge. You know, right, to exactly. to like eat the right thing and, you know, exercise the yeah. right amount, go to the right groups and get the right acupuncture and, and who knows what the right things are anyway, you know, and right. horrible guilt over a glass of wine or something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's just so ridiculous. It's outrageous. It's like the whole point of being healthy is so that you can live and experience life. And if you're not experiencing life, then what are you doing? You know what I mean? Or if you're like <laughs> feeling, you know, if you're feeling just like overwhelmed and, and stuck every quarter of the way, then what are you doing? Because I think, you know, and, and I don't know if, if, if you know, I, I don't think this isn't always the case for people with cancer, so I think it's different. But, you know, for CF, it is terminal. So it, it ends in death a lot of the times. And, um, and so at a certain, and there's, you know, and, and currently there's no... Um, cure that's on the market. You know, there's some in testing, but it's not solid. And so at a certain point, you just have to tell you, you just have to look at it and, and be practical and say, look, this is going to kind of, 
either kill me or make me very, very, very sick regardless of what I do. I can extend it. I can extend the amount of years I have and the amount of, you know, possibly I have. But at the end of the day, this is still a terminal illness. And I, had, I was at the point, I was around, say, 15 or 16 and I was doing all my own treatments and all my own health care and really trying and, you know, trying to pull it together and trying to be the best patient I could be and do everything well. And, and I was just failing ethically because, you know, the, because the doctors had said I wasn't going to live past, you know, 20, 19 or 20. And, and I was just like, well, I'm not, there's, 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 there's a balance. There's a balance between taking care of yourself versus you know, putting energy and, um, and intention into your life to make your life something so incredible that it inspires you to take care of yourself. And I think that that's where people tend to go wrong, especially with CF, is that it just becomes this autopilot of doing your treatments and taking care of yourself and doing your pills, when in actuality what it should be is that you love your life, you're inspired by your life, you want to live, you want to do things, you want to experience things, so you're so inspired by life that you are willing to take care of yourself. It shouldn't be an uphill battle, you know what I mean? And so there's, yes. there's yeah. you know, how do you find that balance? And that's kind of where I'm at. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, I can... Um, well, imagine if I put myself, because I know uh, pretty well uh, a parent of a person with CF. I know someone who, you know, grew up with it pretty well. And I, and so I've put myself in those shoes uh, metaphorically, you know, what would that be like? And since parents are geared towards the survival of their children, Right. Um, I can imagine yeah. that there's a lot of outside pressure to to do it all just just right too, yeah. and that you know finding some way to create some balance with that is not just an inside you process, but everyone around you has investments in yeah. in how you handle it. Yeah, no, that's very true, and and you know it's kind of my parents and I get along very well. Um, like extremely well, weirdly so. Uh, and the only thing that we fight weird to over you or is your friends? <laughs> what you said, weirdly so. I wondered if it was weird to you or or your contemporaries. It's weird to my contemporaries, definitely. Um, yeah, no. I mean, it's it's one of those things where um, I guess I just always have had more of an adult relationship with my parents, where you know I see them as as friends with you know strong investment in my life, who <laughs> give good advice, who I can lean on, you know, which I think is a good relationship to have with your parents. Um, and, and, I, and I love them deeply, and I have a lot of respect for my parents, which is, I think, some, what, that was kind of the weird thing in high school is, is, is that I just kind of respected them a lot, and I don't think every teenager has that. But the only thing that we fight over, I mean, genuinely fight over, is my health. And it's never, you know, it's never an all-out brawl, but it's just this kind of subtle, it's not their life. And because it's not their life, you know, they don't understand why I can't just do everything you know, exactly like the doctors say and do it right and put all my energy and time into it. Because, it, it, you know, because to them, if they're looking at it from a different person's perspective, you know, they think that they would do that. But until you're in it and until you 
feel what it feels like to not want to get up and do your treatments because you feel like, you know, well, then what's after that is just some more freaking treatments. You know, <laughs> until you have that feeling, you don't really, you know, it's, it's hard to say how much you would be willing to take care of yourself. And, and I think that this is something that relates, you know, and, and I don't know if you, if you experience this in kind of what you do, but I'm sure you talk to people who are completely healthy and, and listen to your show and, 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 you know, who are interested in this stuff. Cause I'm always talking to people who are healthy and have nothing wrong with them, but who are still interested in it. But what's right. funny is that it's something that branches out. It's more than just a sick person problem. Uh, we're obsessed with being healthy. And I live in Venice, right? I live in Venice Beach, which is like, you know, I mean, it's just the, the hubbub of, of Erewhon and Whole Foods and spending $500 on green juices so that you don't <laughs> ever get sick, don't ever get a cold. And, you know, and there's just, there's a level of, you know, and I, and I, and I, and I use this, I, use, I say this very lightly, and I, and I don't mean this in like a accusatory way, but I say this to myself a lot, is where's the point of taking care of yourself where it starts to become selfish? You know, where's the part where it starts to become you just wanting to, you know, you just doing it out of, out of autopilot and you just taking care of yourself and that's all you do with your life. And for me, having the foundation and having the YouTube and having kind of all of the, all of the weird, crazy work and jobs and, and projects that I did as a kid, because I always had was that person that has like some weird project going at all times. And that wasn't just because I enjoyed it. It was because I needed it. I needed to have something that I was doing that wasn't about me. You know what I mean? Because there's only so much you can, there's only so many hours in a day that you can spend thinking about yourself and how you're feeling and what you need and what, you know what I mean? Before you just yes. like live for something more, you know, live for something bigger than that. And it, and inevitably in long run makes your, you know, treatments easier and makes taking care of yourself easier, you know, which I just think a lot of people in the health world kind of come at it from the wrong perspective, including doctors and nurses, but we won't get into that right now. <laughs> oh, but we could. <laughs> well, we could. <laughs> you know, uh, because that has to do with being, being heard as a person, regardless of being, uh, of dealing with something in your health. Uh, right. You know, the palliative care people have this together. Like their point is, what is your priority? Why do you want to live? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and that's Which kind of so what you're, you're talking about, isn't it? Um, what yes. are the things it's that exactly will support that. the life that is worth living to you, even even with illness or even with a terminal diagnosis or whatever it might be? And, yes. you know, just looking at some of the things that you've done in your life, which we'll agree is, you know, pretty short so far. <laughs> 19 is not, you know, bazillion years. But oh, yeah, you've done no, a I lot got, of things. I and I have, I have the idea that it's, that everything you're doing is kind of infused with that sense of, uh, okay, if this is what I get, what do I want my life to have been about? Right. Exactly. Well, exactly. And, and, you know, and there's also, I'm, it's almost my birthday, so I'm, I'm a few days away from 20, which is really crazy to me. I'm trying not to think too hard on it. Um, but, you know, there's, there's a level for me of, I didn't really think that I was going to be 20 and still be doing what I'm doing. You know, I kind of thought that it was going to wind down and I was going to get too sick. And, 
and now I'm at this really interesting point where I'm, I'm, I'm kind of looking at all of the things I've been able to do with my life and, and the places I've gone and things I've seen and experienced. And um, I'm wondering, like, you know, what... What, what's next, you know? Like, do I just do the normal person thing now? You know, like, like something that's interesting for me to think about a lot is if I was cured tomorrow, how would I feel? Because there's such a build-up around it where you think, you know, you'd be so relieved, you'd be so happy, it's great. Of course you want to be cured. But there's another part of it, if all you've ever known is being sick and trying to make the most of the time you have and, you know what I mean, and crafting this very specific kind of life for yourself. What happens when you're cured? What happens when your identity is no longer being a sick person? You know what I mean? Or what happens when you live longer than you thought you were going to live? What do you do? Because right now, you know, I'm in school. I'm paying my own rent. I, you know, I live on my own. I I have to pay taxes today. You know what I mean? So it's like (laughs) I'm in this position where it's like I'm living like a normal person. And that's something that's new for me. And so, and I'm actually loving it. I'm loving, you know, having the kind of a normal adult experience of what life is like. Um, and so it's interesting, you know, what we, what we value, what we put our energy into. I think it's, it has a lot more to do with just sort of gathering experiences, you know, gathering what it feels like to do this, what it feels like to do that. You know, what kind of person do you want to be? And I don't want to just be the type of person that, you know, lives to the fullest while she's dying. You know, I want to be the type of person that can take that and can still do something beautiful with it after there's not that that pressure and that buildup, you know. And, and so I'm kind of at a weird point in my life where I'm trying to figure out where does one go from here, you know. Well, and yet I, I also hear that... Um, your your life is evolving. For instance, you're in college. I am. True. And and you're studying something. There's a very yeah. present quality to, to studying something, which it sounds as if you have, and you have a very present reason to do it. And there's also a futuristic part of it. Right. Typically, we're going to finish college and, you know. Um, yeah. So... What yeah, would you exactly. do it? You would if you knew that it was going to be a shorter timeline. Would you be studying anthropology, for instance? Well, that is the real question, isn't it? I mean, like that's the and that's kind of that gets down to the crux of it. Like I, I don't know if I'll be able to graduate. I don't know if I'll be able to do anything at all with what I'm learning or my or you know or my degree. But at the same time. I love studying anthropology, and I learn so much from it. And what I learn from my anthropology courses, I use in my day-to-day work and then in my speaking and in my foundation work. And you know what I mean? I incorporate it. And so there's kind of, I think that's a metaphor for something a lot bigger is that, you know, which is what I was saying earlier, how do you live your life passionately and fully knowing that it's going to end? And knowing that it might end soon and knowing it might end before you hit any resolution, you know, Um, you still just. So I want to continue that, but we have to take another break. And that idea just compels me that how how we can be human beings who have a planning gene, let's say, let's call it, you know, we, we have directionality. And we also have presence and how we put those two together. I'm fascinated by it. Um, so let's right. talk more about it when we get 
uh, get back. Awesome. And um, listeners, you can go to weatheringgrief.com or the host page to find me, and you can find Claire Wineland at clarityproject.com. Be back after the break. <laughs> Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health & Wellness Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I'm here with Claire Wineland, author of Every Breath I Take. She established a foundation that serves the more human needs as opposed to the research needs of families facing cystic fibrosis. And, um, you know, that's another example. Before the break, we were talking about having directionality, wanting to, as a human being, build things and go in directions, but also because of your consciousness, because of your awareness of death, needing now to be uh, meaningful and present. Um, yeah. And I was, I was thinking about a, a client I have who um, got diagnosed with a brain tumor, maybe mid-20s, and became really clear after all that that she wanted to be a physician's assistant. Mm-hmm. Never, never really done that much science and she she has to do all the prep courses you know (laughs) um, yeah and and uh there's a lot of a lot that I think about in terms of how does then the current moment maintain its pleasure because you know you when you're up against something like that you don't want to just put off loving your life for you know (laughs) whatever time (laughs) later when you're done with the uh, so it really does bring a a, a creative tension sometimes. Yeah. And you were saying yeah. that you love studying it. So I imagine that you don't have to compromise too much uh, with with that sense of future and now because they're kind of the same thing. Would that be fair to say? 
Yeah, I mean, to a certain extent, yes. And then at the same time, you know, I and and I'm not I'm not the type of person to like you know to to bring this up unless it's an interview about the whole sickness thing. But having CF is hard physically. It's a very um, draining illness. And so for me, going to school and doing all of that takes a lot of time and energy away from, you know, let's say doing the foundation work. And so mm-hmm. there's, there's always a part of me that's, um, you know, I remember re- reading an article forever ago about spoons and, and you know, and then how when you have, um, you have chronic illness, you have this you know, you have a certain a set amount of spoons every day that you can use, and you can replace spoons with anything. You can, you know, you have right. a certain set amount, and um, and you know, and you you know, you can use one either taking a shower or you can use it walking to the store, but you know, you can't really do both. You don't have enough spoons. You have to choose your pick your battles, and um, and I think that really comes into play when you talk about you know, what you're choosing to do with your life and, and where you're putting your energy and all that because, you know, as much as I, as much as I love school and I love all that, it's part of me, it's like, shouldn't I just be focusing on what I know I can do right now? You know, the people I know I can help um, instead of taking away, you know, to, 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 to try and go to school and making myself maybe sick or doing that or, you know, and so, so it's always kind of this balancing act and I think what's, What's interesting for me, and, and I'm sure for other people as well, is that, you know, there's such a level of uncertainty in everything. You know, like, I remember I was, I was talking to someone um, in the family recently. We had um, a kind of a, a friend of one of our cousins was at a family movie night eating popcorn, watching a funny movie, and she laughed at something, you know, something on the TV, and she choked on one of the popcorn kernels, and it got stuck in her lungs, and a week later, she had, um, it had tore something in her lungs, and she passed away, and she was uh, in a coma, and then they had to let her go, and so she pretty much passed away from, you know, a movie night, from <laughs> watching a comedy wow. at home with her family. <laughs> that's that's a so, great example, isn't it, of just how... Right, yeah. Yeah, you're living with that uncertainty every day, but it's true for all of us. Right. It's it's something we're all kind of dealing with. And yet, knowing that, we still all go about our day. You know, we still all wake up in the morning and we have dreams and we have, you know, things we need to do and we have obligations and all of that. And that's something that, you know, even though no matter how many times you tell someone in a day that... (laughs) <laughs> that they're going to die, they're still going to go on living. And that's kind of, I think, the beautiful thing about humanity and about, you know, just life forms in general is that we go on in spite of kind of impending doom. We go on and we make and we create in spite of that. And I think another facet to that is that no one is, no one is really individual. And this is where 
a lot of kind of my, my spiritual beliefs on everything come into play is that I don't think, you know, if you look at every single great invention and piece of music and you know, everything that's ever been invented in this, you know, in human history, it hasn't come from one sole person. It always comes from a sort of ripple effect of people and their experiences in their lives, and it builds off of each other, you know what I mean? And so there's also just kind of a level of you have to just leap and do what feels right and do what feels, you know, what's pulling you and then hope that if you, you know, can't finish and you can't run the, you know, you can't run the baton to the finish line that there's someone to pick it up and to run with it, you know, for you. And, and, and that's something that takes kind of a lot of, of faith and courage is just trusting that if it's meant to happen, if it's something, if what you're working on, if the project you're working on or the dream or the, you know, if it's something that's meant to be, in humanity, it will be, whether or not you're the one that finishes it or not. And that's kind of where I'm at with the foundation because it's something that I've put so much, you know, heart into and I, and I care so much about it. For, you know, it, it's, it's um, what we do is really kind of um, interesting and, and specific in the CF world. It hadn't really existed when we started it. And now a few other foundations have popped up that are doing similar things. Um, but at the beginning, there was nothing like it, which is, you know, it's such a financial burden to have CF and for the families. And so it was kind of, we were giving them this kind of financial security net so that if they had to miss too many days of work to be with their kid who was dying in the hospital, they would have someone to help cover the bills for them if they, you know what I mean, if they lost a job or if their bills got too crazy or, you know, medical costs or if they had to travel to a different hospital and stay there, we would pay for the travel in the hotel. And um, so it's just kind of this, this safety net. And, um, and what I realized through doing all that work is that, you know, giving someone that really small sense of security in their life kind of opened up so many windows for people. You know what I mean? If, they, if there's, if there's yes. this, this sense that someone is kind of taking care of you and someone's there and someone's got you, you know, you're willing to go a million times further. And so I think a lot of what stops people isn't actually a fear of dying. It's a fear of being alone. You know, I think a lot of the times what we're afraid of isn't necessarily dying. It's dying by ourselves. Mm. Um, and and that's I think that's been that's been something that's hard for me to kind of come to terms with because I was always just so you know capable of doing everything on my own and I had all these projects and all these things going but at the end of the day you know it's it's people it's being connected to something bigger than yourself and that's what makes it all worth it you know absolutely and I, and I kind of hear between the lines you know I've I've been I've had I have mantras, they kind of come and go, you know, the things that just um, stay on my mind consistently for a while. And the, the one right. um, lately has, has been, what is my part to play? Mm, I love that. Um, and, and I hear that in what you're saying, that you, you kind of, um, you know that, that it's not all about you. However, right. you also can feel inside of yourself that you have a part to play, a beautiful part to play. And right. um, you're, you're figuring out what's most essential in playing your own part. H- am I hearing you accurately yeah, there? Yeah, no, that's exactly, that's exactly right. And also, you know, what you said, which is so funny, because I'm the same boat as you. I always have 
weird mantras <laughs> they just pop up and you know like when I was younger it was always this too shall pass and um but recently what it's been, and it's a funny one, and, and I always have to kind of like go deeper and explain it to people because at first it sounds a little weird, but it's that you don't matter. And, and, I, and, and I don't mean that in like a callous way. It, was, it came from, I was taking AP Biology in high school, and, um, and I remember just sitting there learning about how, you know, cells develop, how the mitochondria in the cell, right, which for some reason everyone always remembers what mitochondria is, so the powerhouse yeah. of the cell. Um, but the mitochondria was its own organism. There's these things that mitochondria was its own organism, and it, it made its way into other cells and started acting as, and I just had this moment of like, wow, life is so complex. It's so complex and it's so vast and it's so intricate. And, and I was relieved. I was so relieved because I realized at the end of the day, you don't really matter. And not in a bad way, just in that it doesn't matter if you're doing things perfectly. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, the person you want to be or if you're on the right track or if, you, if your life looks like what you think it should look like. It doesn't matter, right? Like life and the universe and, and how everything functions, the fact that the human body just works in general is incredible, you know what I mean? There's, so, so yes. I think part of just being alive is just showing up. You know, <laughs> part of part of having a life that you you know that you're proud of and that um, and that is considered kind of an inspiring life is just showing up and stepping up to the plate, and the rest is kind of taken care of because it's just so beyond you. You know, and and um, and that's hugely relieving for me when when things get. When health gets really hard, when I get scared, when I get, you know, when I feel caged or trapped or anything like that, I just take a step back and be like, it doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter if I die tomorrow. There's still this vast, you know, network of human consciousness that's working towards something, you know, and that's, that's incredible. Uh, I got to be a, I got to be a part of that and I got to experience that and it doesn't matter whether, you know what I mean? It doesn't matter whether I make an impact or, you know, we, we're just, we're existing. We're part of this whole, you know, story of life and, um, and I just, and then for me, that's my current, you know, that's one of my current mantras is just like, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a time and a place for when you just have to step back and say, I don't matter that much, you know, I'm doing my part and I'm, and I'm doing what I love and what I feel like I need to be doing. And I'm, you know what I mean? And I'm, and I'm living the best way I know how to live. And besides that, it don't matter, you know? <laughs> well, I also hear in that, uh, um, uh, grappling with the the tendency in in at least Western human beings, I don't know if it's every human being <laughs> to uh, judge and criticize whatever it is we do. We're judging and criticizing it as inadequate, too much, too little, too big, too small. You know, <laughs> um, it go, yeah. the list goes on forever. So some some part of what I'm hearing and what you're saying is let yourself be. Just do what do what calls you. Uh, right. Don't harm others, you know, make a contribution, <laughs> right. and that's that, huh? <laughs> exactly. Well, exactly. And, and, and that's kind of, you know, it's, it's simple. I think being alive is a lot more simple than people think it is. You know, it's that's, kind so, of, that's it's, such an incredible place to, to stop, actually. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> life is a lot more simple than we than we make it. We However, think. before I before I let you go, I also just want to say that I know how meaningful that because I work in an organization, a cancer organization that does that kind of support for people. That's so incredibly mm-hmm. meaningful. So I want to thank you for the work you do, and please keep oh, me up to date on, on things in your future. Of yeah, um, of course. It's funny. I didn't realize how useful it was until I had to pay my own bills, and then I was like, wow. <laughs> for <laughs> I sure. I I'm going to have to cut us off for, for today, but I hope we'll talk soon. Next week, I'll have Cheryl Crowder, author of a new book entitled Surviving the Storm. It's a workbook, workbook for people who've lived through cancer. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.